You're listening to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. This is SAFM Sports Wrap, and I am Brad Brown. Thank you very much to the MoneyWeb team. They're back again on Monday. Coming up on tonight's show, a uh, breaking story late this afternoon around SAFA and the elections. And uh, they are being challenged by one of the nominees, uh, Ace Ngobo. And he'll join us tonight to give us all the details. And I can tell you it is not good news. Uh, also coming up, we'll chat some Super Rugby. We'll find out how things went at St. George's Park in uh, Port Elizabeth today. Day one of the second test between the Pro Tiers and Australia. And it is uh, the Cape Town Cycle Tour taking place on Sunday. Johan LaRue will join us uh, and preview uh, the world's biggest or largest time cycling event. Let's start with stories making news headlines. I'll touch on the cricket in more detail later but they were able to reach so the Proteas were uh, were able to reach 39 for the loss of one at Stumps on day one after they dismissed Australia for 243 earlier in the day Proteas trail by 204 runs Former Sascock CEO Tubby Reddy has accused his former boss and the organization's president Gideon Sam of collapsing the country's uh, bid to host the 2022 Commonwealth Games. Testifying at the Ministerial Committee of Inquiry into Sascock Governance at Ellis Park, Reddy says Sam's greed contributed in the government's decision to drop the hosting of the Games. The government decided not to sign the unnecessary guarantees. I suspect because of this act on the part of Gideon Sam, South Africa lost the rights to host the Commonwealth Games because he wanted to benefit personally from the Games. Reddy says Sam's poor governance put Saskok at major risk in the bid process. Saskok was placed at huge risk by the board as the allocation by the Lotteries Commission was only made verbally. The actual allocation from the Lotteries Commission towards the bid was 64 million rand, which was made after the bid was won for Durban 2022. If this grant did not materialize, Sastok would have had no recourse but to have suffered a damaging loss of resources of Sastok finances. Ready, uh, or Sam rather, is expected to get the opportunity to testify next week, Wednesday. That's when the Ministerial Committee of Inquiry continues. On to rugby now. The Stormers' losing streak on New Zealand soil was extended to 10 matches today after they lost 33-15 to the Highlanders in Dunedin. Meanwhile, the Rebels downed uh, the Brumbies by 33 points to 10. On to some Sevens rugbies. Uh, sevens rugby, uh, Springbok Sevens captain Phillips Neyman says it'll be important for the team to start all over again and is confident they have fixed what went wrong in Las Vegas last weekend ahead of the Vancouver leg of the HSBC World Seven Series this weekend. Snayman doesn't believe much uh, is wrong with their processes and that they do not need to reinvent the wheel. The Blitzbox play in Pool D against Russia, Scotland and rivals New Zealand. Yes, you need to start all over again. Um, you need to get yourself back to zero. It's a brand new tournament, a brand new city, um, and brand new team. So, um, going into this tournament, we know there's one or two small things that we can fix and that we will fix and throughout the, the training sessions of the week. Um, but luckily, um, we don't need to invent the wheel again. Um, there's one or two small things. Um, Snowman's hopeful that the bulk of the youngsters in the team have gathered valuable experience in their time on the field last weekend in Vegas and the arrival of another youngster in Marco Lovaskachny in place of the injured Vadner Cock brings about a positive energy into the team. Unfortunately we lost um, the likes of Vadner Cock um, 
Michael Abiskachnik came in yesterday, but he also brings in uh, something else and, and a lot of energy. And all the youngsters coming um, through nicely. They're more experienced now, and they, they want to play. And, and you can actually see the, the, the longer they stay on the pitch, the more comfortable they get um, in that defense line and, and on attack. So really looking forward to this weekend. So Nidman Cup action to look forward to this evening. Amazulu host Ubuntu Cape Town. That one kicks off at 8 p.m. tonight. In Europe, Manchester City manager Pep Guardiola has been fined £20,000 that after he admitted to the FA charge for wearing a political message, that yellow ribbon. European goal to a news, Emiliano Grillo shot a second round four under par 69 to move to 11 under at the Hero Indian Open in Delhi. He holds a four-stroke lead over Shubanka Sharma. Keith Horn's the leading South African. He's tied for fifth on five under. In cycling news, Primoz Rodlik uh, claimed victory in the third stage of the Terreno Adriatico. Adam Yates finished second and Tiege Benut finished third. While at the Paris-Nice, Louis Leon Sanchez uh, hung on to his overall leads. Rudy Mollard won the stage ahead of Tim Vellens and Julian Alaphilippe. Coming up next here on SAFM, we'll talk South African football. SAFM Sports Wrap. You're listening to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. And it seems like there's uh, more drama on the horizon uh, in the boardrooms uh, around Safa. The elections for New South for President scheduled to take place. Uh, the elective Congress scheduled for the 24th of March, but there seems to have been uh, a challenge in a statement released today. One of uh, the men challenging Danny Jordan for the president position, Aisling Ngobo, has uh, challenged the processes and has uh, approached the IEC who's overseeing the elections. And uh, by all accounts, the IEC has decided they're no longer involved. And he joins us now. Ace, welcome on to SAFM Sports Chat this evening. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Hey, so let's let's just chat uh, quickly uh, about why this this letter and, and your correspondence to the IEC about this elective conference that's scheduled for the 24th of March. I'm sure you will have noticed my reluctance to speak to the media about anything related to my nomination and my candidature. Um, in the past couple of weeks since February the 24th, when the SAFA auditor issued uh, two names that were eligible to stand for the SAFA presidency. And that was because I took a decision that before I accept this nomination, before I accept being a candidate and actually stand for the position of SAFA president, I needed to double-check whether or not the processes leading up to this Congress were followed according to FIFA guidelines, FIFA statutes, FIFA electoral code, read with the SAFA statutes and the SAFA electoral code. And that's mainly because I have been a member of the FIFA family in that uh, section of the game which seeks to uphold the legal aspects of the game. As a referee, I was there to uphold the laws of the game. And as I always do in everything, I will check whether or not what I'm getting into complies with the statutes and whatever other codes it is supposed to comply with. What I discovered 
around this election is something that looks like coming out of a horror movie script. The gross violations of the statutes and the electoral code. And instead of going out to speak to the media about these things as other people would do, I engaged Safa on all these things. I wrote to them. I pointed out these things with a view to saying to them, do you think that this Congress should take place on the backdrop of these violations? Don't you think that the Congress will be declared null and void by anybody who has the appetite to take it up on legal review, seeing that the very basics of what constitutes a properly uh, organized Congress have been violated? And when I detected that there was a huge reluctance on the part of SAFA to review its decision to go ahead with this Congress, I was left with no option but to approach other uh, statutory bodies that were involved, in particular the IEC and FIFA, because I don't want to be involved in a process that goes against uh, FIFA statutes, because by taking part in it, I become complicit in what is happening. I grant tacit legitimacy to a process that I can see is highly flawed. And now I have been vindicated because when I wrote to the IEC to bring their attention to all these things and to say to them, as a statutory uh, body of the state, are you aware of these gross violations? Are you not standing a risk of being seen to be complicit in these violations as a body whose legal duty is to deepen democracy and to ensure that all electoral processes in national, provincial, local government and non-statutory bodies, you know, then uh, they looked at the evidence that I provided and within three days, because I wrote the letter on the 6th, within three days on the 9th they wrote back to say, we never knew that this was the case. And on the basis of the evidence you have provided us, we feel that we cannot endorse this electoral process. So grossly flawed and in violation of its own statutes that the supreme body, when it comes to uh, matters relating to elections in South Africa, says, I don't want to touch this thing with a patch pole. Is, do, do you think this is merely uh, a simple oversight on Safa's part, or do you think this is deeper and, and more malicious and, and there is more to why these processes haven't been followed? I'm sorry, but I'd rather not go into a speculative analysis of why uh, these things took place, because that will lead me to a space I don't want to enter, a space where I have to speak about certain people. I, I, I believe that my statement captures what I view as something that the president of SAFA should take as a decision henceforth, because 
He is the custodian of the Constitution. He is the one who is obligated by virtue of holding that office to jealously guard and defend and protect this Constitution. When he becomes complicit, either by commission or omission, in its violation, I believe that he should do the right thing. He should exit that office because this is a serious indictment on not just his leadership, but on his ability to uphold the constitution of the very same football association he purports to lead. Have you heard from Sartre this afternoon since releasing the statement? No, but before I released the statement, I wrote to the CEO to notify him of my intention to release the statement. Before I wrote to FIFA and the IEC, I had written to him to notify SAFA of my intention to write to another body except uh, SAFA because at that stage I had felt that there was no appetite to correct what I believe, I, which I still believe were gross violations and, and transgressions of the electoral code. Obviously, just, just over two weeks to go to that scheduled date, the 24th of, of March. With the IEC not sanctioning this election anymore, can it, can it still happen? Do you think it will still go ahead? And, sh- and obviously, you believe it shouldn't still go ahead. But do you think SAFA will push this through and, uh, and uh, try and, try and uh, get it done on the 24th? No, they can't. They can't. You see, the reason why the IEC pulled out is not even because of the violations in the processes. It is because SAFA's electoral code prohibits SAFA from appointing the IEC to run the elections. SAFA's electoral code prescribes very strongly without any room for deviation, derived from FIFA guidelines, that the electoral committee must be elected in an electoral congress six months prior to the elective congress. Now, they violated that prescriptive clause in the electoral code. It's a constitutional imperative that leaves no room whatsoever for SAFA to appoint an agency instead of electing an electoral committee. So, with the IEC... They had no option but to pull out because when they read that clause, it expressly prohibits SAFA from appointing the IEC, despite whether or not there were violations of, of other statutes. We'll, we'll watch the story very, very closely. Aisling Noble, thank you so much for your time this evening. Uh, and we just, uh, so that everyone is aware, we did uh, offer SAFA the opportunity for I to reply. They said to us they are compiling their own statement, and hopefully they'll have that to us, and we'll hear from them early next week. So uh, as it stands now, we'll have to wait for that. Ace, thank you so for your time this evening, and have a great weekend. Sorry, it's a pleasure. Thank you, my brother. Let's face it. The workload that comes with matric can be stressful. But with the SABC Education Virtual Academy, it doesn't have to. SIVA offers matrix a world of learning support materials in key learning areas. Support includes video lessons, lesson notes, revision flashcards, self-assessment activities, and much more. Be wise or don't miss out. Visit seva.co.za. A proud initiative brought to you by SABC Education. Enriching minds enriching lives.
the greatest story will unfold in Russia as the world gathers for one of the biggest global sporting events, the FIFA World Cup. It is the battle between 32 nations from the 14th of June to the 15th of July 2018. Tune in live to SABC TV channels and SABC radio stations. SABC is the official broadcaster of the FIFA World Cup 2018 Russia. The greatest story unfolding. Catch me, Ringo Majinguzi, tonight at the Birchwood. I'll be there with the muffin. SAFM Sports Wrap. Where they are, South Africans, good times and great food. There's Sunfoil. This test cricket action between South Africa and Australia is proudly brought to you by Sunfoil. Now we're cooking. Aslam Kota joins us now. Aslam, it was the Kahisa Rabada show in Port Elizabeth today. Yes, quite sensational. And uh, Twitter has gone crazy with uh, Rabada and his uh, wonderful performance today. Um, this is a very interesting statistic, Brad. Uh, Rabada's test track rate of 39.6 is best by a bowler with 100 wickets or more in the last 122 years. That is quite phenomenal. And uh, it goes further by saying that that strike rate is better than Spain, Donald, Walker, Wazim, Holding, Marshall, Ghana, Ambrose, Lily, Thompson, McGrath, and others. So what a fantastic day today it was for him. It was great to see that sudden burst of, of energy from him and skill, keeping a fuller length, and uh, picked up wickets 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, five in a row. And at one stage, he had picked up 4 for 8 in 6 balls and ended up with 5 for 13 in 18 balls. And um, there was still a bit of obduracy from the tail end. They scored 73 runs for those last four wickets. It was Australia. So they shouldn't have got more than 175, perhaps even 190. They ended up with 243. So 5 for 96. He's eighth five-wicket haul, second versus the Ollies, and second in PE. So it was indeed, as you say, a Rabada show. Aslam, I think the, the only sort of negative is, as you say, letting, letting the tail wag. Uh, we, we could have wrapped them up and should have probably wrapped them up a, a lot sooner. But at the end of day one, as it stands right now with the situation, with the pro tiers sitting one down, 39 for the loss of one, 204 runs behind, advantage definitely to the pro tiers in my mind. Yes. Uh, on uh, Overnight, they'd be a lot more uh, happier than the Australians. There were a few starts for Australia. Cameron, Bancroft and Warner put on 98 for that first wicket. An excellent uh, piece of uh, a period of cricket we saw. The first hour completely dominated by the South Africans. At one stage, the Australian pair had scored 23 in 13 overs. It was exactly in an hour. In 13.3 overs, which followed, that's the second part of that first session, they scored 75 runs at almost five runs and over. And then they were completely dominant. And Polander then produced a fantastic delivery to have Bancroft following the delivery, he was caught at the wicket, and at lunchtime, they trudged off with uh, Bancroft out for that score of 38. And then immediately after lunch, it was Talanda again, and Usman Khwaja's woeful form continues here on the tour to South Africa. And um, then it was, as I said, the Rabada show. He started by getting the wicket of Steve Smith, and then Sean Marsh, Mitchell Marsh, Cummins, and Stark were his other victims. But let's not forget the work that uh, Philander did to 2 for 25 and listen to this, 18 overs and 7 maidens. And then Lunkisana Ngidi replacing Morkel in 13.3 overs picked up 3 for 51. All three, he clean bowled. Among them, David Warner, Tim Payne was the last man out, and at the bottom of the order is Nathan Lyon, who was pretty, uh, pretty obdurate in the way he did that. He's got 17, he hit 4 fours in it as well. 
and was there for 30 odd deliveries. So, um, a good day at the office for him as well. In the main, I think they will certainly, as you say, be, uh, feel that they are ahead. It's a pity that Markham, the, uh, first test centurion, uh, had to fall to, uh, but an excellent del- delivery from Cummins out for 11. So they will resume on, what did you say, 39 for 1, South Africa still 204 behind. Fantastic. Asam Kota, thank you very much for that. Uh, we'll have updates throughout the rest of the weekend from St. George's Park, so make sure you stay tuned to SAFM. Calling all business owners and entrepreneurs interested in establishing and growing your business. As the SABC, we reach over 80% of the nation, and our radio, TV, and digital platforms will put your business on the map. We're hosting an SABC Ad Day at our Seapoint Studios to showcase the SABC as the medium of choice. The SABC has a powerful and experienced sales team who can offer you a great deal to grow your business. Email ctsales at sabc.co.za for more information, and let's work together to build your business. Isa Dingmore has been nominated in the SAFTA's most popular TV soap category. Make sure to vote for your favorite soap by 22 March 2018. To vote for Isa Dingmore, SMS the number 8 to 48430. That's the number 8 to 48430. SMSs are charged at 150. For more info, go to www.nfbf.co.za. Catch me, Ringo Matingozi, tonight at the Birchwood. I'll be there with the Muffins. SAFM Sports Wrap. On to some Super Rugby now here on SAFM. Two matches already having been played uh, earlier today. In the first game of the weekend, the Storm is their own worst enemy once again at the Forsyth Bar against the Highlanders, going down 33 points to 15. Craig Ray joins us now. Craig, basic mistakes again. Weeks for your Super Rugby, and they still haven't sorted their lineouts out yet. Yeah, I'm afraid, Brad, it's a bit of a shambles, the line-out. And, I mean, I know there's some mitigating circumstances. So without Evan Espeth and J.D. Schickeling, who went down, they also didn't have Peter Steffs deployed today. So, yes, the three first-choice locks were out of the game, and they were down to second-choice hooker Ramon Samuels. But even so, you know, they lost three uh, crucial line-outs, and I think one directly read, led to a try. Another one cost them uh, a good attacking position inside the Highlanders' 22 um, yeah, and there was some poor defence out wide again. They were exposed on the wind. They uh, hit some contestable kicks that they didn't follow up or didn't win, and Waisaki Naolo scored a try directly from a contestable kick from inside their own 22, the Storms, from Devolt Ivanaka. Naolo went up roundabout on the 10-metre line, won the kick, offloaded, got, you know, went down the blind side, another pass inside try. It was just too simple. There were too many easy tries for the Highlanders. You know, early on, the Storms clawed their way back into the game. They even took the lead. It was the sort of try against the runner play by Damien Willemser. And almost from the restart, they conceded the try to soft exit play again. And, you know, the mistakes just keep mounting. And as much as you feel for them, they lost a lot of players. It's a tough tour. Teams don't win in New Zealand easily. You know, if you're not getting those basics of defense out wide, exit strategy, and line outs, you know, you've got to start pointing fingers at the team's off and the players' attitudes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the other match saw the Rebels uh, continue their good start to the season. 33-10 win over the Brumbies. Tomorrow, early start again. Uh, the Hurricanes-Crusaders should be a fab game. Then the Bulls on the yeah. road against the Reds. Yeah, Hurricanes-Crusaders, I mean, that's that's one for the purists, isn't it? That's going to be a, a ding-dong battle. I mean, the Hurricanes, of course, have just come off their sort of South African tour via Argentina. So they might be a little ragged uh, in terms of their physical um, approach. They might start losing... Bit of energy in the last 20. The Crusaders on a roll. They beat the Storms quite comfortably last weekend, and they look good as the defending champions. 
Um, but it should be a fascinating game. And then the Bulls, well, you know, great opportunity for the Bulls on tour. They've got to you know, try and get their, their season off to a good spot. The Reds are not exactly a top team in the competition. A nice opportunity for the Bulls to lay down a marker and get an away win. And I think if they're going to win a game on tour, this has got to be the one they're going to win. So they've got to get it right. Absolutely. The Sharks hosting the Sunwolves on paper definitely one the Sharks should win. Uh, but then a game I'm really looking forward to at Emirates, uh, at Emirates Airline Park, the Lions hosting the Blues. Uh, that should be a fantastic game. The Lions miles ahead uh, in, in the South or in the conference that they're in. Uh, they're looking really good. Uh, and now they get to test themselves again against uh, a Kiwi side. So the Kiwis uh, leading and, and, and sort of showing where the level is. Uh, do you think they've got what it takes to beat the Blues tomorrow? Well, they, they thrashed the Blues last year, or the year before, and uh, you know, at Ellis Park, they really are fantastic at home, the Lions. I can't see the Blues winning it, but you know, just look at that Blues team, and you go, wow, look at look at the players, and they've put Rico Ioni into Ioni into centre. So that's a very interesting move for Sonny Bull Williams, and you know, they've just got class everywhere. But the Lions are a lovely unit; they're playing really good rugby as a team, and that's what they they noticed for. And they also got a you know, a lot of confidence after. Uh, you know, a fantastic start to the season. They haven't lost the game. They took you over the Bulls last weekend. The Jaguars the week before. The Sharks the week before that. So they are really um, you know, full of confidence. It's hard to see the Blues winning this one. But New Zealand sides are so capable. They're so um, brilliant at punishing the smallest mistakes. So the Lions are going to have to be on top of their game. Uh, they're not going to just cruise to, to victory in this one. But uh, I fully expect the Lions' victory. And that will really put them in the pound seats in the South African Conference. Absolutely, and then the final game of the weekend sees the Waratahs travel to South America to take on the Jaguars. Craig Ray, as always, thank you very much uh, for that. We look forward to following what happens tomorrow afternoon on SAFM Sports Special. Thanks for your time today. Thanks, Pat. Always good to see you and talk to you. SAFM Sports Wrap. You're listening to SAFM Big Cycling Weekend in Cape Town this weekend and driving into work this afternoon. The amount of uh, car number plates I saw from out of town with bicycles on the back. It means it can only be the Cape Town Cycle Tour. It is the world's largest time cycling event and thousands upon thousands of cyclists have descended on the mother city. We're joined now by Johan Leroux. Johan, welcome back onto SAFM Sports Trap this evening. Uh, a festival of cycling in store for Cape Town. Thank you very much, Brad. Yeah, great cycling weekend as always. And as you mentioned there, the masses have descended uh, onto Cape Town. I believe 15,000 people coming from outside of the Western Cape to take part as one of the 35 or some of the 35,000 taking part in the race on uh, Sunday. So it really is going to be another great cycling weekend. I was at the Expo earlier today to pick up my media accreditation and the excitement that was there amongst the cyclists. It's just really great because, you know, the Cape Town Cycling Tour, there are some professional ridings, but it's all about having fun and just an opportunity for some of the not-so-professionals to test themselves against some really, really tough conditions. And I think what made a lot of people smile is at the moment the weather should be playing along nicely. So I think we're all set for a great, a great cycling weekend in the Mother City. This is uh, edition number 40 take two, as the organizers are calling it. It should have been the 41st edition, but uh, they're redoing the 40th after the weather conditions last year, forced to cancellation, uh, horrific winds last year. Johan, the big question that everyone's asking is, what does the forecast look like for Sunday? Yeah, 
that at the moment it's, it's looking pretty good. Uh, I think a maximum winds of about 20 kilometers an hour expected. So that's not too bad at all. But as the race director, David Belez, said uh, last year about this time, he said the same thing, that the weather is looking good. And then all of a sudden on race day last year, it just changed. And they had no option but to stop the race because of the gusty, gusty wind. So anything is still possible in the Cape weather. It could still all turn around on, on Sunday. But at the moment, it's looking like it's probably the best that you can expect for a Cape Town to a cycle day. Uh, maximum the temperatures of about 23, 24, and that's even in the middle of the day. So for those late starters and late, late finishes, it shouldn't get too hot out there. And uh, I think that it's always everybody who's taken part in the Cape Town cycle tour will know that there are a few spots where the southeaster does tend to blow a little bit stronger, and there's a few pockets. So it's always just good to be aware of that. But at the moment, it doesn't look like the wind is going to play a major factor in at least cancelling the race or stopping the race, and that's a good thing. Uh, even the race director said it's time for the Cape Town Cycle Tour to get back into the habit of just completing the races and completing full races because a few years ago, uh, because of that fire, it also had to be shortened. So it all, at the moment, looks set like the weather is going to play along. But at the same time, anything can still happen on race day. And also, last year, the big problem was at the actual start of the race, and they had major, major problems, and that was a big reason why they had to uh, stop the race from actually continuing. This year, the start has been moved. It's now taking place at the Grand Parade precinct, and that is going to make a big, big difference. The race director says it's not as windy, and there's not an opportunity for the wind to tunnel through some of those sections. So at least uh, that'll be uh, good for the start of the race, and it also provides an opportunity for the riders to go past one of the iconic uh, features in Cape Town, and that's past the Castle of Good Hope. So that's also a nice way to start the race. Absolutely, I think it's going to be a fantastic day's riding. I'm going to be riding once again, and fingers crossed the, the weather gods do play along and uh, everything happens the way it should. I'm definitely looking forward to, uh, to uh, a, a little tour around the Southern Peninsula. And, uh, Johan, I know you're going to be following the race and giving us updates uh, on Sunday of the, the professionals, and we look forward to that here on SAFM. Thanks for your time tonight. Thank you very much, Brad. SAFM Sports Wrap. One thing I can tell you on Sundays, I won't be winning. That is for sure. Also coming up this weekend on SAFM Sports Special, Ned Bank Cup action between Free State Stars and Triple United. Uh, tomorrow on Sunday, Royal Eagles taking on Maritzburg United and our Super Rugby clash for tomorrow afternoon. The Lions uh, against the Blues. Craig Ray will have updates from quarter past five. We'll have crossings throughout the weekend from the Test match. Also in studio, they'll be chatting to Australia Nick Lawson, who is uh, a barefoot runner and he's running from Cape Gullis to Russ Bensak in Tunisia. Uh, it's going to take him 365 days. You want to listen to that interview. And then on Sunday, John will be joined uh, by the chairman of the Josie Cats Rugby Club, the first gay and inclusive competitive rugby club. They'll be uh, doing a tag rugby event for the Human Rights Day. Uh, you can find out all the details. That's taking place on Wednesday, the 21st of March. Have yourself a superb weekend. I'll chat with you again on Monday afternoon. From myself, Brad Brown, it's cheers.